All right, wow. That, that was some singing, Faith Family. That was some singing. Fantastic. I love hearing you worship, and those are some pretty amazing uh, songs as well. That, that second song may have been new to you, uh, but you hang around here very long, and it won't be new. Uh, you'll, you'll get used to it. That's a powerful, powerful song and content, singing straight from the psalm. So anyways, enough about our worship through singing. Let's worship through the preaching of God's Word. If you've got a Bible, go to Exodus chapter 1, Exodus chapter 1. We started a brand new series uh, last week uh, entitled, Into the Wilderness, a journey to freedom, and we're working through the book of Exodus, and it's just an important book. We've, we kind of laid that out last week. I won't go through all that again, but one of the reasons why is we, we are a gospel people. We preach the gospel every week. We're all about the gospel, and the Exodus is the gospel of the Old Testament. It is the big redemptive story of God's work in the Old Testament, which sets us up for uh, redemption in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. We talked about how it's one of the most if not the most referenced books in the New Testament, and so it's important for us to be familiar with it, but also just how practical this book is. Uh, all of us at times are going to be in a wilderness, we're going to be confused, we're going to be wandering around in life, uh, and, and we need the truth of God's faithfulness, his sovereignty, his providence, even in those times. And so I, I trust you were encouraged last week. In fact, I'm sensing a buzz about this series that's kind of exciting. Like some of you shared a lot of feedback last week, uh, and that encourages me. Please, please, please uh, tell me uh, how God's Word is impacting your life. I want to hear your feedback. Uh, I want this to matter to you. So let's dive in tonight, picking right up where we left off, Exodus chapter 1 and verse 8. If you're able to stand, please do so. Uh, as we honor the reading of God's word. Exodus 1, verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set up taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service, with mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Let's pray. Let's ask God to teach us tonight from his word. God, thank you for giving us this time in our week to, to hear your voice through your word. Uh, God, even these things that happened so long ago has so much relevance for our life now. And I pray, Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, that you would come and encourage us. You are the comforter. And so give comfort to your people. Bring truth to your people tonight as we listen to your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen. 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 You can be seated. Bill Wong is the most famous investment trader you've probably never heard of. 
Uh, he became famous back in 2013 when he, we took this, listen, $200 million from a hedge fund and turned it into a staggering, ready for it, $30 billion. $30 billion. He had a $30 billion net worth. That is absolutely insane. That is mind-blowing. But what made his fortune different, Faith Family, was that his billions were not tied up in businesses or real estate or sports teams. It was actually liquid. He had $30 million. But Bill is not known for all the money he had. He's known for all the money he lost. Bill lost all $30 billion in less than one week. Now that's insane. Like that's even more insane. He lost $30 billion in less than a week. In fact, no individual in modern financial history has lost so much money so fast. How did it happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. Rather than keeping the money, Wong decided that he was going to take his billions and he was going to embark on an aggressive investment strategy. And it was just before COVID-19 swept through New York. Here's what he did. He amassed huge positions and a handful of investments. And then he did something stupid and potentially illegal. He did what's known as a return swap. While his money is invested in all the, in, in these few funds, listen, he takes large loans from several banks and uses that money to inflate the stock prices of the investments he's holding. Well, when the stocks tank and the banks demand their money, everything he'd gathered and made collapsed overnight. In literally just three days, he went from 30 billion to zero. Can you even imagine? Faith family, let me ask you this tonight. Has the bottom ever fallen out from under you before? Has the ground ever crumbled beneath your feet? Oh, I doubt that there's anybody here that's ever lost $30 billion in a few days. But I bet you there's a lot of people here tonight that know the feeling of being on the mountaintop one moment, enjoying the view of life, and holding on for your life the very next. There are probably many of you that, that had that moment when your business was successful and it's booming, and then the very next moment you're wondering, how am I even going to survive? That moment when you had a 33-point lead at halftime... And the next, you're wondering, how did we lose that game? And God's people said, I figured I'd get an amen there. One moment, you feel as healthy as you could be. The next, you're fighting an unknown sickness. One moment, you're laughing with your best friend having drinks. And the next moment, she's gone. Has the bottom ever dropped out of your life before? Has the bottom ever dropped out? Like Susan's story. Listen to Susan's story. Real story. Quote, it was the summer the bottom fell out. 
interestingly enough, the months leading up to that, fate, that fateful summer were the most serene and positive. I had the impression that things were going to work out, plans were moving forward, the blessings were abounding, and then the bottom fell out. First, my oldest son, who had been married 10 short months, called in the middle of the night to say that his wife had left. She decided that she, wanted to, she didn't want to be married after all, and she, wanted to, she didn't want to leave any wine untasted. To say that my son and whole family was devastated is to minimize the trauma this took us through. Then, a mere month later... My husband came home from his startup business, locked out of the building with news that there wouldn't be no more money for salaries. To say that this was a financial tsunami for our family barely scratches the surface. I watched our financial security become shaky as, listen, every car repair, every purchase seemed like it would sink us. As my dreams crumbled, my heart broke, and my security vanished. You've not lost $30 million before in a week, but you know what it's like to have the bottom of life fall out from under you. It's exactly what has happened to the people of God in Exodus chapter 1. Look at verse 8 again. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. The, the thing we see here in these few verses is the suffering of Israel. And in these verses, listen, Moses describes how the bottom falls out of the nation of Israel literally overnight. Listen, they go from prosperity to adversity in a very short time. Think about it. Up until this point, Israel has been protected in Egypt. Joseph was in good standing with the Pharaoh. And if Joseph is in good standing with the Pharaoh, so are the people of Israel. And they have experienced good times. Not only that, you remember from Genesis that Israel was brought to Egypt in the first place to protect them from the coming famine. They are there for good reasons, for good purposes, and they are enjoying the comfort of Egypt. And overnight it all changes. Moses tells us a new or a Pharaoh dies and a new Pharaoh comes into power and this new Pharaoh does not know Joseph and he does not look on Israel favorably at all. And everything changes. Have you ever gone through something like that? I'm clearly not to the degree of this or to the level of this, but, but you've experienced something similar, right? The economy is booming, and then a new president takes office. Uh, it's your senior year at school, and, and then all of a sudden they hire a new coach who, who makes Bobby Knight look nice, right? 
you, you love, you absolutely loved working at your job. The culture there was great. Everybody got along, and then they hired a new boss. And it late, but then he makes us wait 15. You were two minutes late, Nick. Morning. And I didn't think I had to punch a clock with you. You don't. Sorry. That's all right. I'll just attribute this to your drinking problem. Yeah, I don't have Nick, that. please. We're in the middle of a meeting. Sorry. Morning, everyone. So, I have finally decided who I want to be our new senior vice president of sales. He's right here in this room. It's me. What do you think? I've decided to absorb the responsibilities of the senior VP position into my own. I've realized that if you want to get something done right, you've got to do it yourself. So I'm going to be breaking through the wall of the office that would have been the senior VPs and make one huge, enormous office. However, I will only be taking 85% of the additional salary I'm entitled to, and that is self-sacrifice people. All right, how many of you ever work for a new boss who's a jerk? Don't raise your hand, all right? Don't raise your hand. Uh, again, emotionally, you can feel this. It's not to the level. It's not to the level of what Israel is going through in this. But you know the feeling when life changes? Everything was going good. You were prospering. It was good times. And then overnight, something happens that takes you into adversity. The winds have changed for Israel with the inauguration of a new Pharaoh. And listen, life, Moses tells us, is brutal. Pick it up in verse 13. They ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field and in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. The people of God are now afflicted with a heavy burden. And I'm sure they wanted to ask what you want to ask when your life goes from prosperity to adversity overnight. Why? Why, why am I going through this? What, what, why the change? In fact, I would ask this question. I think this is an appropriate question to ask. Notice it on the screen. God, why would you bring your people to Egypt to preserve them only to let Egypt persecute them? That doesn't make any sense. You brought us here to keep us alive. Why would you let us be made slaves? God, I, I don't understand the change that's happened in my life. I don't understand the reasons behind what you're doing. Anybody, now you can raise your hand. Anybody been there? God, what in the world? Like, what's going on here? And this really helps us dig in tonight to see some of the reasons behind, listen, God's sovereign purpose in your suffering. God's sovereign purpose in your suffering. You do believe that God has a sovereign purpose in your suffering, right? If you don't, I'm going to convince you of it, okay? Because listen, we have at Faith Family a biblical view of suffering. I make no attempt whatsoever to get God off the hook. You know why? He doesn't need it. He's God. He doesn't need me to explain him away. And here at Faith Family, we reject any form of the prosperity gospel, which is the name it and claim it, that all God wants for you is to be healthy and wealthy. That is nonsense and anti-gospel. 
We deny that God is in the good things, but God is not in the hard things, right? Sometimes people want to think that way. Oh, when something good happens, and first of all, who gives you the knowledge to define what's good or bad? You, you don't know how that's going to work out, but we say this is good, it must be from God. This is hard or difficult, it must not be from God. And what did you sing earlier? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God is sovereign in both. Listen to me, faith family. Notice it on the screen. At faith family, we believe that God is sovereign in our suffering and God is sovereign over our suffering. Anything less than that, he's not God. So what does Israel's burden in Egypt teach us about our suffering? This is not, we don't have time for an exhaustive list, but I'll give you three that help us understand God's plan. Number one is this, based on the text. Suffering happens, sometimes suffering happens because the people who oppose God often oppose the people of God. Have you noticed that? The people that oppose God, that don't want anything to do with God, will often persecute the people of God. According to the text here, Pharaoh feels threatened by Israel. His main issue is the people of God. These people are threatening my kingdom. And that happens in so many ways. It's not always in government power. It might be in personal autonomy. But whatever the case, God and his people is a threat to my kingdom. So there have been times, of course, when God's people have enjoyed the favor of the culture. Hello, Joseph? under the other Pharaoh. So yeah, there've been times, but listen to me, listen to me. Historically, more often than not, the people of God are seen as a threat to the world's way of living. All you have to do is preach the gospel. All you have to do is tell people there's only one way to God. And people aren't gonna like that. Oftentimes, the people that oppose God oppose the people of God. It's why Jesus said this. Notice it here, Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus also says this in John chapter 15. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, say it, they will also persecute you. See, Jesus has already told us that sometimes we're going to suffer simply because we live in a world that does not want the light of the gospel. They love darkness. And when you begin to share that light, live that light, speak that light, proclaim that light, they're going to hate you for it, even though it's the very thing that would save them. It's a fragrance of Christ to some and a fragrance of death to others. Throughout the New Testament, we see that suffering and persecution is something we will experience because we belong to God. I'd say it this way. I've said something similar before, but I'm sure you don't remember it. If you're not experiencing any persecution from the world, it's probably because you look just like the world. Let me say it again. If you're not experiencing any persecution from the world, it's probably because you look just like the world. It doesn't mean you're going to be thrown into slavery. 
But it might cost you a relationship. It might cause some conflict. Sometimes we face suffering because the people who oppose God oppose the people of God. Amen? Second, second. Sometimes suffering happens, I I would say even all of suffering happens, to remind the people of God, you're not yet in the promised land. Israel suffered in Egypt as a reminder, are you listening? You don't belong in Egypt. The reason you're suffering in Egypt is because you don't belong in Egypt. Somebody say, preach, preacher, preach, preach, right? Listen, there is a biblical pattern where God gets very concerned when his people get comfortable in their Egypt. You don't belong in Egypt. This is not your home. This is not your eternity. And so to make sure you do not get too comfortable here, suffering. To remind you, you're not yet where I want you to be. And why is God so concerned with his people getting too comfortable? It's all throughout the Bible, faith family. Notice it on the screen. It's because prosperity usually leads to idolatry. You begin to love this world or the things of this world more than you love God, and God loves you so much to rip your fingers off those things and get you back to where you realize God is the only ultimate treasure. Nothing of this world is ultimately to fulfill you. Only God is. You remember Job? The criticism of Job was, of course he worships you. Look how good his life is. It's why in the New Testament, every author is pointing and suffering is pointing people to future glory. This isn't it. This isn't home. You were made for somewhere else. How many of you love this verse? Look at it. Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed. Anybody? Just amen. Like, I love that verse. I just love that verse. Yes. But do you know why you love that verse? Because you've stood by the casket. Because you've received the diagnosis. Because those nights you couldn't stop the tears. That's good news because you've known pain. And pain has a way of reminding you this is not the promised land. The promised land's coming when there will be no more death and no more tears, but you're not there yet. Israel is getting comfortable in Egypt because of all the blessings. And so through a new Pharaoh, God takes his people through suffering to remind them Egypt is not their home. Amen? Last one I'll give you tonight. It's not exhaustive, but it's at least three, I think, worth mentioning. And that is that suffering happens to remind the people of God of our need of redemption. Suffering happens as a reminder to the people of God, of our need for redemption. The age-old question, you know I hate this question. Nobody even asks me this anymore unless they don't know me because they know I'm liable to slap them in Jesus' name. Why do bad things happen to good people? Ugh! Don't ask that. Why, why, Why do I just shiver when somebody asks that? Because it's flawed on so many levels. First of all, show me a good person outside of Jesus. 
I'm not saying that people don't do good things. I'm saying we are fundamentally sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I am broken in every way and so are you. And the only way we'll ever find true healing is in Jesus, the perfect one. Preach, preacher, right? So, so stop with the whole good people. And the second thing is why do bad things? It's what I referenced earlier. How do you ultimately know that's bad? You don't know what God is doing. God is gonna do something glorious through their suffering they don't even know yet. There, yes, there is a sense in which we can say being in slavery is bad, but it is not ultimately bad in accordance to the purpose and plan of God. And so we just stop with the whole good people and the bad things. And we just say there are things in life and there is a sovereign God. Okay, so my point here is to say this. Okay, I did kind of go on a little bit of a tangent there, but <laughs> you told me I could. Listen, listen, listen. Suffering is a reminder of sin. Whether it is personal sin or simply the sinful effects of a broken world that we are all experiencing every day. In their slavery and the reminder of this in this suffering is what? God is about to redeem them. They need redemption. Let me say it this way. Maybe this will be better. Notice it on the screen. Egypt is preparation for the exodus. Egypt shows the need for an exodus because without the suffering of slaves, they will not become covenant sons. Suffering is hard, amen? It's heavy. Some of you, like Israel in Exodus 1, are like, I'm dying here. I feel like I am ruthlessly being hit with wave after wave. Listen, listen. If it's because of your faith, blessed are those who are persecuted for his namesake. They persecuted Jesus, they'll persecute you. Second, let this remind you that this is not home and you're going to a place where all things will be made new. And in the meantime, be reminded of the effects of sin in the world and realize that Jesus and only Jesus is the true redeemer. And that way may not take your pain away, but it will give you perspective to trust and walk by faith. Amen? That's just the first point I've got eight. I'm kidding. Listen, the first point I'm showing here is in these verses, Israel goes from prosperity to adversity. That is, the bottom falls out overnight, and now they are carrying heavy burdens. But do you remember I told you last week uh, that we would, we would need the first seven verses throughout the book? That the first seven verses show us the providence of God over his people of God. Because look at how sovereign God is in their suffering. If you need proof that God is sovereign in their suffering, look at verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So not only do we see the suffering of Israel, we see the sovereignty of God. Who is the ultimate sovereign of Exodus 1? God or Pharaoh? God is. Listen, listen, it's in the text. It's right there, black and white, right in front of your face. 
Pharaoh tries to use his sovereignty to contain the people of God only for God to use their slavery to expand the people of God. Take that, Pharaoh. You think you're in control, but listen, the king's heart is like channels of water. He turns them wherever he wishes. Pharaoh's not in control. God is. And Israel may not understand this suffering, but God is sovereign over this suffering to use it to multiply them and to spread them and advance them just like he promised in verse 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful and they increased greatly. They multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong. So the land was filled with them. It reminds me of Psalm 2, where the nations rage and the Lord in heaven laughs. U.S. Congress, you really think you're in control. Pharaoh, you, you really think you're in control. Nebuchadnezzar, name your government leader. God laughs at all those who think they are sovereign over him. And he is behind the scenes for his suffering people, bringing this to something glorious. Let's stop for a moment. Let's stop for just a moment because I know you know this, but I really want you to dig in and think about this. I think this is helpful. It's an important lesson for us when it comes to suffering. Stop for a moment. We're gonna take just a second. We're gonna think about what's happening from Israel's perspective. And we're going to think about what's happening from God's perspective. Are you with me? All right. And I want you to put yourself in this story and whatever it is that you're going through. <clears throat> Here's Israel's perspective. All they know, all they know at this point in Exodus 1 is what? There's a new Pharaoh. All you know is that some sudden change happened in your life and you can't explain it. You got a new boss. You, you got the diagnosis of cancer, you lost money, you lost your job. Like, that's all you know. All you see is the change. All you see is the hardship. That, that's all you know. That's all Israel knows. All they know is slavery. That is, uh, they, they know the pain, the heavy burden that comes with this. And same with you. It may not be slavery, but you know the, the heaviness that's coming with the suffering you're in. That's all you know. Here's what else Israel knows. They knows, they knows, they knows, knows isn't a word, but they knows. They know it don't make sense. I'm from Tennessee. Don't hold grammar against me, right? Listen, listen. This doesn't make sense at all. And you know why it doesn't make any sense at all? Because God, you brought us to Egypt for preservation and now we're facing persecution. In the same way, it doesn't make any sense to you. I was just sharing my faith. I was just trying to live for God. I was just doing the best I could at my job. I was doing the best I could to keep myself healthy. It doesn't make any sense at all. Are, are, you, are you tracking with this? Are you in this story? God, all I know is there's been change. All I know is it's heavy and hard. All I know is it doesn't make sense. And here's the question I have for you. Is that all there is to know? Is that all the, the intel of this story? Of course not. Because now I want you to think of the exact same scenario, the exact same situation from God's perspective. What does God know that Israel does not know? That the people of God will expand through this persecution. And here's what you don't know, how God is going to use your cancer. 
how God is going to use your hardship, how he's going to build the kingdom through the heavy load you're carrying. Here's what else they don't know. They don't know about Moses. They don't know that God is raising up a leader. Literally in the next chapter, we're going to see this. Here's what they don't know, that God is preparing them for an act of redemption that this present slavery can't even compare to. God is going to make slaves his covenant sons. Here's the point I'm making. Israel doesn't know all this. They can hardly see it, hardly believe it, but it's nevertheless true. Lean in right now. If that was true for the people of God then, that is true for the people of God now. I know you're hurting. This is real stuff. But I'm telling you, God is sovereign in it, and God is sovereign over it. So what does the text show us? It shows us how the people of God go from prosperity to adversity, but yet in their suffering, God is working his sovereign plan. And you say, okay, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. I mean, theologically, I understand that. But I came to church for something now. I can't, I can't wait to the Exodus. I mean, that's like several chapters away. What, 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 what do I do now? What, what do I do in the meantime? Chapter 2, verse 23. Chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, and it may be many days, The king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God, say these with me, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew Give me just a moment. I want to unpack this and we're done. What did Israel do during their time of slavery and suffering? This is important. They did not look to the new Pharaoh for answers. They turned to Yahweh. They turned to God. Listen to me. The election result in November will not be your savior. God is. Pharaoh is not the answer. God is. And in their groaning, they cry out to him. And I want to show you briefly God's response to their prayers, God's response to our prayers, in hopes that it will be a comfort to you in the meantime. Listen, I don't know when your exodus is coming. I don't know how many chapters you are away. God didn't give me a crystal ball to tell you that tonight, but it might be many days. So what do you do in the meantime? In your suffering... You cry out to God. You go to God. You weep to God. You pray to God. And guess what he's doing? Four things. I'll make them quick, I promise. Number one, God hears you. God hears you. Let that set it. God hears your prayers. Do you know how amazing that is? God always hears the prayers of his people. 
God is not so busy running the entire universe as to not hear you. Listen, most weeks I can barely squeeze in another meeting, amen? Here's the problem. The problem is not that we that, that God doesn't hear. It's this. We associate God's hearing with his answering. Somebody say preach, preacher. Listen, I know God has heard me if he does what I ask him to do. But that ain't how it works, sweetheart. That's not how it works. Do you realize how many people in the Bible died before their prayers were answered? Their prayers were answered. God was acting, but he wasn't responding the way they wanted him to. Notice it on the screen. Listen, please, please, please never associate God's listening with God's responding. His responding, you may never know, but his listening is guaranteed. Lean in, faith family. The comfort of prayer is not in a small God who does whatever we ask. It's in a sovereign God who hears us when we pray. That's the comfort of prayer. It's not getting what we want. It's getting God. He hears you. Second, not only does he hear you, This is beautiful. He remembers his promise to you. The text says, Moses tells us that he remembered the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He remembers his covenant, which means this. Do you know why God promises to hear you? Because you're his. Because you're a part of his covenant. We're a part of the new covenant. And this is so beautiful, and I'm so glad this is true. God does not hear me because I'm good. God hears me because he's faithful. God's like, Israel, I'm listening. Do you know why I'm listening? It ain't because you're good. It's because I made a promise to you. It's because I made a promise to you. And I will not go back on my promise to my people. Faith family, notice on the screen, God is not faithful because of us. He's faithful because of God. Which means you will always be heard. Because if it were based on you, he might not listen. I wouldn't if if I were him. (laughs) But because it's based on his remembering his promise to you, you can be assured he's listening. Third, not only does he hear, not only does he remember, but he sees. In fact, I don't have the time to really unpack all this. I I gotta finish this up. But I wanna make a note here that the intimacy of this verse is increasing. It's taking a step further each point. That is, he hears you, he remembers his covenant to you, so we just took a step of of intimacy even further, and then he sees you. One of the most challenging things in suffering is the feeling alone. Nobody sees me. Nobody saw what happened. Nobody sees me crying. I feel so unseen. God sees you in your suffering. And then lastly, this is the most intimate step of all, God knows you. The ultimate Hebrew word for intimacy, yada, God knows you. It's not he's aware of you, it's that he's intimate. You're his covenant people. He's intimately involved with you. Listen, listen, he's not watching you from a distance like a grandfather watching his grandson at a playground. He's in the suffering with you. 
He's in the suffering with you. He hears your groaning. He remembers his promise. He sees you, you're not alone. But that's not enough. He actually enters into your world. And he knows the burden you carry. And you may say to me tonight, Pastor, I, I, don't, I actually don't believe that God enters into my suffering. Then faith family, how do you explain this? God has already entered into your slavery and into your suffering. So if you need proof tonight that God listens and he not only listens, he remembers, and he not only remembers, he sees, and he not only sees, he actually knows, look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. So what does this passage teach us? It teaches us the suffering of Israel when the bottom falls out of life, and it will. Change comes and takes us off our feet. And it teaches us that God is sovereign. He's expanding his people. He's preparing them for something great. And it shows us the solace of prayer in the meantime. We don't know when our exodus is coming, but we still have God now. And we can go to him and groan with him for he is our shelter. Okay. Has the bottom ever fallen out of your life? Have you ever gone from prosperity one moment to adversity the next? If you're here this evening and you feel the heavy burden of suffering that comes with the pharaohs of this world, <laughs> remember these words. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Because my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, faith family, the pharaohs of this world give heavy burdens, but Jesus wants to take your burden and give you rest. Why? Because he's faithful to his promise and he's faithful to his people. And let me remind you as I close just how faithful God is to you. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Talk about the bottom falling out. Faith family, Jesus didn't lose $30 billion in a week. He gave up the riches of glory overnight to become painfully poor through the suffering of the cross. Why? so that you would experience the greatest exodus God would ever do to go from slave to sin to covenant son. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. let's pray. Wow, Lord, um, 
if we ever thought Exodus wasn't relevant, uh, we should think again. This is so, so helpful to our life. And I, I'm certain there are people here tonight that the bottom of life has fallen out. They have gone from prosperity to adversity, maybe in a big way, maybe in a small way. And if, and if not, as we often say here, cheer up, it's coming. Life in this broken world will have all kinds of, of the bottoms falling out. And it's good for us to remember that in it, God, you really are sovereign. And not only are you sovereign, you're our shelter. And we need both. We need a sovereign God and a place to run. So thank you for being that for your people. Thank you for the beauty of this passage tonight to see all this work together and help this not be theology class, but real life when we're struggling to make sense of it all. God, thank you. It's a gift of your grace that you've given us things like this to learn from because again, if you were faithful to your people then, you are faithful to your people now. You haven't changed. And it's good for us to be reminded of that. And so now as we take these moments to remember your covenant promise to us that was displayed on the cross, the new covenant that has made us right with you forever, may this be a sweet time of worship and remembrance as we partake of the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen.